Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship of two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Usually, Ryan and I like to watch and discuss movies we've seen and disagree on, but every now and then we like to watch something we've been meaning to see, but just haven't gotten around to yet. For this episode, we've decided to watch Ang Lee's 1997 exploration of 70s suburban life, The Ice Storm. And The Ice Storm isn't a tremendously well-known movie, though it was received well enough by critics. It's got a 75 on Metacritic, and it earned just over $8 million. Um, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Supporting Actress Award at the Golden Globes and at the BAFTAs, but otherwise its reputation has just sort of steadily grown over the years, and it's more or less well-regarded by movie fans, so we thought we'd see for ourselves whether this movie is worth the modest hype. If you usually listen to the podcast, you know we usually end this intro with a very witty reference to the movie. Right. That's a little tough to do with the ice storm, <laughs> but here goes. Did it satisfy the emptiness that years of drinking and affairs have left? Or are we still searching for meaning in our sad suburban lives? Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, trust us that we're referencing things from the movies, not from our real lives. So... Plug in your headphones and have a seat on that guardrail over there. This one's going to be electrifying. Wendy. A person's body is his temple. This body is your first and last possession. Now, as your own parents have probably told you, in adolescence, our bodies tend to betray us. And that's why in Samoa and other developing nations, Adolescents are sent out into the woods unarmed, and they don't come back till they've learned a thing or two. Do you understand? Well, that was Sigourney Weaver as Janie Carver giving some um, useful advice mm -hmm. to Christina Ricci um, mm -hmm. as Wendy. Um, you know, I feel like uh, when I watched that, I, I, uh, I really did learn something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I learned a lot watching this movie. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> So today we are talking about uh, The Ice Storm, Ang Lee's 1997 exploration of suburbia in the 70s in Connecticut. Uh -huh. um, and we are we, we had chosen this episode uh, at first. It was basically just because we, we were like, it, it's, it's getting, getting cold, cold. Yeah, and this The Ice Storm's you, a movie I kind of wanted to see. This and, shows yeah. you how little we knew about the movie because... We just said, uh, let's say it's getting cold. Even though it was just a movie we wanted to see, we felt like we had to come up with a reason. Turns out, <laughs> right, the, the movie takes place during Thanksgiving. It couldn't be more relevant. So, honestly. We couldn't have picked a more perfect movie, I watched movie, it the actually. day before Thanksgiving. So I was like, yeah, oh, same here. wait a minute. I guess this is yeah. <laughs> absolutely perfect. And we didn't have to say anything dumb about it being cold. True. <laughs> Plus, I also thought it was really in, uh, a really interesting segue from our last episode, The Avengers, which immediately goes into a talk about the Fantastic Four. Yeah, in Marvel. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so like, many connections. Wow. So tenuous connections that turned out to be perfect connections aside. What made you want to see this movie? Um. Well, let's see. What I feel like the Ice Storm is one of those movies that. 
just kind of sat in my whether it was a Netflix queue. I don't think this is on Netflix. It was just sat in this like right. my my mind's queue of yeah. movies. You have those movies that just linger there for so long mm -hmm. and you just never get to. Yeah. And you're like, I'll get to it one. I got to get to it one day. Yeah. And I actually do want to see it. It's not like it's something that I don't want to see, but I feel like I have to kind of eat my vegetables. It yeah. was like, yeah, <laughs> it was a movie I wanted to see. I really love Ang Lee. Mm -hmm. Good cast. And yeah. I tend to also just this is this is the kind of movie I'm naturally even drawn to. Like just these, uh, you know, they've gotten a little tired over the years, but mm -hmm. these sort of explorations of suburbia sure um, yeah social critique there was nothing in this movie that was making me not want to see it yeah. but i just never did i mean how about you why why was it that you, you just never caught up with uh, the i mean to be honest we were i was a little young to really oh yeah be interested I mean, in it when it came out um, I, I don't even remember it coming out like i mean i do like it's not like it's something that i my parents and their friends saw, and I was curious about it. Like, there's my parents would never want to see this movie. There was never a ton of buzz about it. Really. No, and it's just it. It's one of those movies that it came up enough that I was like, oh yeah, I should see that. But it didn't come up so often that it was like, okay, all right. It wasn't. I, a, I, I, I get it. I have it. to see this yeah. movie. But you're right. I like Ang Lee a lot. Um, I mean, I was curious, but nobody. I, I never felt urgency. Uh, so I'm glad we actually, you know. Kind of pushed each other to see it <laughs> right. a little bit. Well, glad is a relative term. Right. And I also, when I say this is a movie that, that I'm drawn to, I don't know what that says about myself. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah I don't you didn't think... go into specifics about what what about this movie is a movie that you're drawn to. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I really can, although I just... I'm one of those weirdos that kind of just likes darker films and yeah. that they don't scare me. I, like I, 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 I no also hear a lot of people that, you know, say things like there's enough terrible things in the yeah. world. Why do you want to sit through that? Well, and actually, that, that we would talk about that, that up, but okay. That's never been on my mind when I consider whether to see a movie. Well, or here's not, the thing. You know? I had no idea this was a depressing, movie. I didn't know anything about it. Really? Yeah. Like I, I, did you at least know there was an ice storm in the movie or did you I think figured, maybe it was I kind figured. of a, I didn't know if it was, um, figurative or not but i i like i got it from the library this last week and we were going over to the friend's house for dinner and they were like yeah bring a couple movies if you want and i this was one of them i brought and i was they asked me what it was about and i was like oh let's see and i read the back and i was like oh <laughs> maybe, maybe not when gather the family this. around <laughs> yeah um, i had no idea about the key parties or anything like that but i i maybe maybe the way i'm talking is not indicative of how I felt about the movie, but let's talk about how we felt about it. So, Nate, did you like The Ice Storm? Um, I did. I liked okay. it a lot. I mean, liked as in, um, I mean, these are pretty depressing characters in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I think that there is so much that you could get out of this movie. Mm -hmm. There are so many different angles you could take that we could even discuss, um, you know, as far as what? <laughs> I'm. This is so dumb, but just making an angly pun on angles. <laughs> there are so many angly angles that you can. <laughs> Anglies that you can. Uh, <laughs> what are we doing? Sorry, go ahead. But there are so many different ways that you could discuss this movie, things that you could look at. Um, and I think that's kind of a, a hallmark of Ang Lee in general, mm -hmm. is that you could watch the movie you know, on just on the surface of things and get one thing out of it. And then you could watch it another time or not even watch it, but just think about it yeah, over oh, the, the few days past after seeing it. 
and really start to think, well, maybe the movie was about this or, yeah. you know, or start reflecting on something else that happened in the movie that you didn't think that much about when you watched it, but it stuck with you. And so I know, you know, it's hard to say like it or didn't like it. I mm-hmm. I, I did like it, but yeah. that makes it sound like this was like Star Wars or something like that. Like This is just something that you're going to be, yeah. that's just going to be no, a, a thrill it. to watch. But I just really appreciate this movie. Yeah, I really think it's... That was it's, actually the word I was going to use. That it, The fact that I didn't necessarily enjoy the viewing experience is more of a testament to Ang Lee's abilities than it is to the quality of the movie. Yeah. Um, because you're not supposed to like what's happening. But I did, I definitely appreciate the acting, the the filmmaking, um, the story. But I appreciate all of it. And I so for that, I like this movie. I think it's a very good movie. I, I, I'm with you. I'm glad sometimes in preparation for the podcast, I watch the movie the day we record. Right. Um, and this is when I'm glad I watched a few days ahead at time because you're absolutely right that there are things in the movie that just stick with you, lines or scenes or yep. images or um, facial expressions, just things that you, you just kind of mull over and they end up meaning more the more you give it time right um because actually i think when i had seen the movie and i got to like the final scene mm -hmm. um i didn't i didn't know what to make of it like i you think you you think you got a read on what it's what's trying to say yeah and it's not that the ending throws you uh it's not like it's a shocking or Mm -hmm. surprise or twist ending or anything like that but it's not an ending that um interprets the movie for you I don't think. Oh, no. It's a very... Um, it doesn't wrap anything up. Right. Um, but it's not unsatisfying. I feel like... And it's not teasing. Right. I feel like the very opening lines of the movie are about family mm-hmm. and what family is. And it's and it's actually using this kind of metaphor, I guess, of like superheroes and the Fantastic Four as being a family. Yeah. In issue number 141 of the Fantastic Four, published in November 1973, Reed Richards has to use his antimatter weapon on his own son, who Annihilus has turned into a human atom bomb. It was a typical predicament for the Fantastic Four because they weren't like other superheroes. They were more like a family. And the more power they had, the more harm they could do to each other without even knowing it. That was the meaning of the Fantastic Four, that a family is like your own personal antimatter. Your family is the void you emerge from and the place you return to when you die. And that's the paradox. The closer you're drawn back in, the deeper into the void you go. And then I think there's a, obviously a lot that happens <laughs> in between then and the ending sure. um, that certainly stretches what you're thinking about as far as what are we supposed to make of this particular family or yeah. of the families that are portrayed in this suburb, this 70s suburbia. Well, and what does this um, family say about my family or exactly. what I think family should be? Or... Um, and then I guess like it gets almost to the point where you kind of wonder, um, maybe this really isn't exactly about family but then it kind of brings it back to that at the very end it gets Mm -hmm. back into the where it's basically just that nuclear family in that car yeah um and that's sort of like what what's lingering when the credits roll is this family back together again even though through most of the movie they're actually not together 
physically. I yeah. mean, no, you're right. They're maybe there. They have the things. Yeah. And they have the Thanksgiving dinner that really is not a long scene really. Mm-mm. And a lot of the movie, they're actually off doing their own things. The yeah. husband and wife are together. Uh, Wendy is doing yeah. those, what, <laughs> with, the, with the neighborhood boys and the neighbor boys. And, yeah. um, you know, Paul is, is actually out of town for most of it. Um, yeah. hanging out with, um, Neblis. Is that, oh, um, Niblitz. Oh, what was it? Levitz? Levitz. Yeah. Niblitz. Libitz. 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 Right. It was Katie Holmes's Katie. character. Yeah. That's surprising. Her first, uh, her film, f- yeah. first film actually. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting line in that opening part where it says um, about the Fantastic Four, the more power they had, the more harm they could do to each other without even knowing it. Um, and that's one big thing in the movie is that people are acting very selfishly and not even realizing how much harm they're doing mm-hmm. to the people in their family. That, And then, by extension, the people around them, that it just kind of spirals out, This this harm that you can do out of you know whatever selfish choices or even just adolescent like curiosity yeah is almost a power that they're gaining the more power the more knowledge they get the more they harm the people around them um it's really it is a fascinating movie um absolutely and i think even just the how much it really does portray that more than most movies that that there really are consequences for whatever your actions are oh yeah you know good or bad there are definitely consequences Mm -hmm. you you see the result played out as painfully as it can be to watch on screen you see that played out and you know at first i thought at a very simple level i kind of just asked is this really just is it just a movie about parents who aren't any more grown up than their kids Mm -hmm. that they're just making adolescent choices um It's there. And in fact, they really do draw the parallel even there, yeah. like where, uh, especially between Joan Allen's Elena character and, and Christina Ricci's uh, Wendy character, where mm-hmm. she's even imitating her. Like she's almost jealous of the f- this sort of free-spirited nature of Wendy. Yeah. So the next day she goes out on the bike, bike and she, yeah. she shoplifts. And so that's where to me it was like, okay, there's a clear line being drawn here that these parents basically... Well, they were following their children's lead right. rather than, you know setting an example for them right um so at first i was like okay well you know is that really just what the movie's about is yeah. uh, what happens when parents don't act like parents mm-hmm. but what i think m- stretches this movie in a way and blows that wide open is the fact that the the context in which all of this takes place that 1973 like there is such an important reason why this yeah. movie takes place at that exact time and I almost felt like uh, talk about the craftsmanship of the movie, like the the way that period is drawn mm. and, and painted in this movie mm-hmm. is so accurate in a way that it's not just accuracy. It's almost like it's, it looks like it was made in the 70s. It does. But it almost has like um, it almost has this like historical drama approach to it as far as like if you see something like when we think of historical dramas we think of something like in the 19th century or right and what they'll do is they'll kind of like linger on certain things just to kind of like put you in that place you know and i think there are obviously plenty of movies that that take place in the 70s um but this one really does kind of draw your attention to those 70 isms i guess Mm -hmm. like really does draw your attention to like the waterbed yeah. And like to just like the the decor, 
Um, yeah, the clothes, like, it, they're... It draws a lot of attention to it. Yeah, but not in any way that, like, is... Because you, you see historical movies that their costumes are just like, look at how much work went into right. getting this right. And it's not <laughs> like that at all. It's a very lived-in movie. Exactly. And part of that is because we kind of just jump into the story of this family. Uh-huh. Like, oh, he's already been having this affair. Oh, he's already sick of it. Like, yeah. This is, um, but I think on top of the fact that, uh, well, I guess, I, did you say why you think it's important that it was set during that time? Yeah. I, oh, no, I didn't. I, I wanted to get to that, though, mm -hmm. uh, because what I think really challenges you, because you, you could watch the movie and you could say, oh, you know what? These parents, they just need to grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, if they just grew up, none of this stuff would happen. You know, yeah. look at all the terrible things that happen from the decisions they make mm -hmm. because they're just so selfish and so immature. Right. And um, and the way that they're raising their kids, look at what the kids are doing because yeah. of the way they raise them. It's really them. easy to quickly condescend. Exactly. To them. But you can't because these people, this family started, I'm assuming because he says they were married for how many years? Uh, like 17 years of marriage is what Joan yeah, Allen says. Yeah, and they've got a 16. So they were married in the 50s. Yeah. They were grown up, quote unquote. Like what I think mm -hmm. you're seeing on the film is this is a family that, from society standards and that we it still carries over to this day like we have a perception in our mind of what a grown-up family looks like yeah. you know uh -huh. the dad works the job these days it's not so much the housewife um but we still have a right. an ex uh, like the parents are the example to the children mm -hmm. um they've got it all together they're very squeaky clean yeah um and, and it's a very it's a very um idealized family two kids yeah. suburbia yep um it was Boy, all the there, but this is happening right after the the counterculture, you know, right after like the summer of love, mm -hmm. 69. So it's getting to that point where all that stuff that was happening with the youth in the culture is now permeating into suburbia. Yeah. It's a very fascinating time period to look yeah. at, to look at specifically suburbia, because well, what's happening is these people who thought they had it figured out, you mm -hmm. know, like he's got a good job, yep. um, you know, yep. they've got a nice family. And there's a lot of disillusionment, and there's a reason why they keep showing Watergate over and over and over on the TV. Is just yeah. this sense of disillusionment in that time period. Well, there's not only the disillusionment, but there's the idea, like when um, you've got Ben, Kevin Klein's character, is in uh, Sigourney Weaver's house to have sex, and she leaves, and then he walks downstairs and mm -hmm. sees his daughter and. Sigourney Weaver's son fooling around and he gets angry. Right. And you're sort of like, well, who's this guy to tell <laughs> yeah. his daughter? You've got that with Watergate. Like, wait, these are the, our leaders. These are the people telling us what the rules and the laws of the land yeah, are. Yeah, that's a good they're point. The, they're yeah. the people breaking the laws. Right. Like, what, what, Where, what, who has authority anymore? Yeah. What's the point of yeah. having a structure here? And not only that, but you've got this idea that you're right. I didn't even think about the the sort of counterculture summer of love just four years earlier, but that they would have been um, in their twenties during that time, and they're probably feeling pretty hemmed in and um, restrained. Which is why when you know Joan Allen sees Christine Ricci riding the bike, she's that. Oh yeah, I remember when I could break free. Right. And it's funny when I was in town, I saw you on your bike with Mikey. Who? Nobody. Mikey Carver? Well, we were just riding around. Well, you looked very free when I saw you. As if you know, I were seeing my own memories of being a girl. There's something internal about it. 
Yeah, there's just so much going on in these characters. I think you're right that that it's just by setting it in that time period and being so true to it, right, and not just arbitrary. Like, you know, I mean, '70s family, you know, because it'll be cool to see them using um, stuff from the '70s. Yeah, yeah, like not having her own phone in her room and listening to records, but like, yeah, it's actually like really, it's important to the story. Yeah, that like we've seen a lot of um, movies that kind of look at suburbia in a critical lens. Whether it's everything yeah. from American Beauty to Desperate well, Housewives, that's what but, I was I was gonna say. But this I think really about. is set apart from that. Um, but yeah. go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna say this was two years before American Beauty. Um, I like American Beauty. I do. I, I like American I, Beauty. There's and a lot we're of, actually thinking about doing an episode. There is a lot of, of backlash for that film, but yeah. but I do appreciate American Beauty. But I can see if I were a film critic or whatever, a film buff, and in 1997 I see The Ice Storm and really like it. Then I see, and it does very little, you know, it's, it just sort of comes and goes mm-hmm. in the public eye. And then American Beauty comes and gets every award. I'd be like, well, wait a minute. Why, why American <laughs> Beauty? What's so right. special about it? Ice Storm, Ice Storm already did this and had some layers that American Beauty didn't have. Or right. Even the soundtrack was that very like... Um, the Native American sort of like well, flute, the, the flute stuff. But also there was like the sort of... It's not marimba, but like the xylophone-ish. That's an American sort Beauty, too. Yeah. yeah. So you like, can see that American this was Beauty like, that. was yeah. like all that xylophone, right. and then everything after American right. Beauty used it. And so it's kind of like American Beauty took Ice Storm and was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's put it in present I can day. see a little bit of copycat in that, mm-hmm. like, because... What that soundtrack does is it allows you to have a sense of humor in your movie, but not lose the weightiness of what's yeah. happening. Um, and I, I don't think the Ice Storm had much of a sense of humor. No, but what I did, what I was reading about, there's a really great, it's a really great essay because this was eventually put out on Criterion. Yeah. Um, and there's an essay on the Criterion website. It's what came with the, the, the Blu-ray or DVD, if you got it, by Bill Crone. And he does bring in a few things about the making of it. And I guess um, Ang Lee actually... I guess he cut the movie like 17 different times Wow! just to get the tone. Like he didn't know what tone he was going to settle on. So the movie could have been a lot more funny. He picked the right it, one. It was, it, but he just found this perfect tone, I think. It's, it's unreal. The, the tone. Tone is what Ang Lee is. Absolutely. I don't even know how to describe it. Like Mm-mm. I couldn't break it down for you, but no. all I can say is it's just, it's tone. There's a tone to Ang Lee's movies that's just beautiful, you can meditative. Feel like, it. Like you yeah. can touch that it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so strong but it's not heavy-handed that's how you can tell that Ang Lee is an Asian filmmaker is that like uh you've because like Japanese fiction is very different than Western fiction and mm-hmm. there's just something about the way that Asian artists approach art that's different from the West right the Eastern art versus the Western art and Ang Lee brings that and if you don't notice it or see that that's what he's doing I can see dismissing his movies or just not getting them right. or whatever and which is what made him such an odd choice for hulk like <laughs> i didn't see that saw, one though, but people saw crouching tiger hidden dragon and talk about tone i mean that movie is in layers right like there's so much to it but the fight scenes were kick-ass man and so they were like give him an action movie he'll, he'll direct hulk and he made a tone poem 
Hulk movie, <laughs> and people weren't ready for it. Right, but it was within Ang Lee's. Uh, he did what he was doing. Right to use the camera and use film to philosophize. I right. guess very few filmmakers can pull that off. Ang Lee is definitely one of them, and he does it perfectly in the ice storm. There is so much that you could just, like you said, you can just sit on this for days mm -hmm. and just think about it. But it was a really interesting way to look at such an American concept. The I, like the suburbia of America, the seventies suburbia, the Watergate. Um, I don't know if key parties are specifically American, but <laughs> I, I, I think that that's a unique. Well, I think key, key parties um, to me is a suburban mm -hmm. application of the counterculture. Oh, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean by like, this is the, this is the yeah. counterculture is kind of seeping in, but it's this being, is how we're, we're rebelling, but it's being, um, reappropriated for yeah. these middle-aged well and it even you know, still came from a counterculture it was they were they talk about deep throat the movie and right. being influenced by that and but they're almost talking about it as in like they're building this sort of cred when they're talking about it. like yeah, i saw like, deep throat you yeah know? From, from deep throat the very one last <laughs> something about a first amendment defense fund ted took me to see it Oh, Ted, how romantic. <laughs> now, I have to admit, the movie didn't do much for me. But being in that theater, surrounded by all those horny young college boys and perverts, I mean, there was something in the air. But what I was saying is that Ang Lee is able to see something and depict something in such staid um, concepts that he brings it into a new light, that you're, you're seeing it for its sadness, regardless of the particulars or... Who's going home with whom? The sadness just comes through. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the betrayal, not anything, but the desperate despair is just palpable, which is part of why we're saying we we didn't necessarily enjoy watching the movie. No. Um, side note, and this may have colored my viewing, um, I found out that uh, I, I live in the North Shore suburbs of Chicago, um, which is... I, not very different than the Connecticut. They're, it looked they're very similar to where we are from. Yeah. The northern suburbs of Chicago. Um, yeah. I found out the night before we uh, watched it that key parties are like a really common thing. Where you're at? Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, you should be offended that you haven't been invited yet. I, I am. You should frankly. be. Yeah. <laughs> no, if I were uh, you, I'd go knocking on those doors and say, so, just dangle your keys in front yeah. of them and say, hey, what the heck, yeah. man? I got keys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I drive a terrible car, but <laughs> it has keys. Uh, no, but what it did, it just made it so weird. Like, mm -hmm. um, so my wife and I watched it together and we were both just like feeling weird about this key party thing. Yeah. And then like, it was just very strange. I, I guess I, about that key party scene, like where they're actually mm -hmm. grabbing the keys yeah. out of the bowl. What I appreciated was um, not everyone was disturbed or uncomfortable with that. Like, it was yeah. basically the main characters were, and you kind of knew the backstory as well, to... Well, you got the sense that some people there were, too. There like, was a There lot. were people who were there You had every response. Like, like, yeah, you, you people had... who were, like, totally down and... Yeah. You had the super creeps, the one that was, like, um, you know, that, that mom brought her son... 
Yeah. And then he's like, more of these guys need to bring their daughters, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you had the, one of the, this was actually one of the funny parts in that movie was when the, the pastor was there. You thought that was funny? The line that she says was hilarious. Reverend Edwards. Perhaps you might find it in your heart to call me Philip. Here, I'm a bit surprised. Well, sometimes the shepherd needs the company of the sheep. <laughs> I'm going to try hard not to understand the implications of that. Like, yeah. When you fix, like, that. I don't know. That's I bestiality. That whole scene. Oh, <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. That is funny. Um, but I was. I just was more saddened by that whole Yeah, and then concept, he just picks up like, and then he just grabs his keys and goes, yeah. you know, like yes, oh, it's, it's a it's awkward. a sad what's happening in that whole part of the movie mm-hmm. is it's just a very sad uncomfortable yes. affair. Well, <laughs> affair, yeah. Yeah. Um the and that's the thing he 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 gets all of that. Like it's all uncomfortable. There's nothing sexy about any of it. There's nothing appealing about any of it. When um, Elena does end up going to the car with um, Jim, I think his name is, uh, when they end up having sex, like the sound effects of just his breathing and like yeah. them hitting the door, like everything is just like very realistic and very awkward like mm-hmm. he captures only yeah. the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness right of sex and um and and i wonder and i'm not saying this to be cute but it's very cold like i mean cold is in like that scene yeah. especially is just very yes. matter of fact yep. like you're just sort of uh a, you're just sort of a voyeur in yeah that. and it's not anything interesting that you're no, watching you don't want you don't <laughs> like want to be you there. don't want to be the voyeur and Almost. you've also got like there's the iciness of the actual ice on the windows. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like maybe we should talk about this. Like, what do you think the ice storm represents in all of that? Like, obviously it, it serves its purpose plot wise. Um, yeah. But I feel like they could have done that with a lot of different. Yeah. Why was it? Things like what was, where, uh, what was the whole meaning behind that? You know, that's a, I, honestly, that's a good question. It's probably terrible that there's I don't probably have an a, answer. Um, there's probably a dozen different meanings that you could um, get out of it, but. In in a way, it reminded me of like the the frogs in Magnolia, hmm. just something that's like a wake up call to everybody. Like just stop, everybody stop. Yes, yeah. and nobody could get away from it. Um, and it it affected everybody, and it's almost. I mean, there's not really a, a tremendously real indication that, that uh, Ang Lee was trying to have god get involved and just say like this has gone on far enough but you get that sense that Mm -hmm. everybody needed to just again for lack of a better word cool out like (laughs) everybody freeze (laughs) (laughs) i was disappointed that uh that it it didn't end up being a tie-in to (laughs) to to, to batman Batman and robin Robin. yeah that it didn't turn out that it was mr freeze Freeze. but yeah i mean that's that's sort of what i got because Throughout the movie, there's just this lingering dread. Mm-hmm. Like the movie is so dreadful in the sense that it's full of this anticipatory dread. You're just like, oh, this is not gonna go well. This isn't gonna mm-hmm. go well. And that's just um 
literally shown and then exacerbated by the the storm coming, the wind picking up. That yeah. just in the sound effects, you hear the wind yep. more and more often. You feel the storm coming, and the rain starts getting louder to, to the point that I was genuinely like, "Oh wait, this isn't happening." I, like I, right. I honestly felt like it was happening at my house. That like. I was going to look out. And it's there was, true. There was I had the same like feeling. I was like, it should have been raining, yeah. but it was, it, it's remarkable how he did that. So the the reason I feel like it's this, this call to just stop what you're doing and re reevaluate is because it's coming the whole time. And as their choices get worse and worse, the storm's getting mm -hmm. more and more powerful. And, um, and that is something that's unique to an ice storm. I think is that it doesn't just happen. Like, mm -hmm. It it takes a while for it's an ice storm to happen. It's got to rain. It's got to happen kind of overnight. Has to come in. Exactly. Yeah. And I also think that, it, like I said, there's probably a number of things that you could pull out of why it's an ice storm and not some other type of weather or other type of um, outside force coming in to bring everything to a halt. But um, you know, one thing I was thinking about is everyone here seems to be kind of fumbling, you mm -hmm. know, and you get that very literal sense in an ice storm of people just slipping. Yeah. You know that yeah. that there's no the ground underneath you is just very slippery, yeah. you know, and everyone is just trying to, I don't even know what they're trying to do. I guess find some kind of self-satisfaction. Yeah. Um, but they're just doing it in such a, you know, yeah. uncertain way. These are people who are incapable of not making bad decisions. Everything they do is going to be a mistake. And if you didn't pick up on that, they're going out for a drive in an ice storm. They're right. going, they're <laughs> exactly. jumping, they're, yeah. they're bouncing on an icy diving board over an empty yes. pool. Like yeah. they are making dumb, d dangerous decisions. Um, and their behavior during the ice storm is indicative of the way they were acting with their lives. Like nobody was driving to take cover. Nobody was finding someone for warmth. Mm -hmm. Nobody was doing anything for any logical purpose. But let's you know, slip and slide our way to the car so that we yeah. can have an affair. Let's, and it's like they're, and they're only living in that moment. Right. Like they're not even thinking about, not even the next day. They're just, they're not even thinking about the next few minutes. Right. You know, it's like, or anything about like projecting forward of what could happen yeah. by me doing this. You right. Know? They're, they're completely reactionary. Mm -hmm. Everything about what they do is just reactionary. Joan Allen's decision to just, the Joan Allen character, I should say, Elena, yeah. her decision <laughs> to just stay in there is completely reactionary to what she heard right before about yeah. the affair yeah. uh, between um, the Kevin Klein character and right. uh, Janie Sigourney Weaver. You Kevin, know? And Kevin Klein getting drunk at the party is in reaction to how Sigourney Weaver's acting and Joan Allen's acting. Right. And yeah, it's they're just completely thoughtless characters, let alone Paul, who we haven't even talked about what he was doing. And he was trying to drug up his friend so that he would be passed out so that he could drug up a girl and have sex with her. Right. And then she died, right? Did she? I don't know. I thought that was in kind of any left case, ambiguous. he left her in a bad state with yes. these drugs. And all he can think about really is that he was like with her. Like yeah. he, he's smiling at the end of things. Like he's not the implications of how, what, if she's okay or not, he yeah. just doesn't even think about that. What you're saying is um, one of the reasons why when I when when the film immediately ended, I didn't know what to think of it because it almost seems like none of the consequences really mattered. Like yeah. the Elijah Wood character, like 
he's dead. Those parents lost their boy, you know? And the Wendy character is not fully at fault, but kind of at fault because doesn't she say she's going to meet him there or meet him out there? Or she at least knows that he's out there. Yeah. And doesn't do anything about it. Well, doesn't, she got into bed with her She got into bed with brother. the little brother. And the the Paul character, just like you said, like he just leaves and you never really know what happened. Like you said, she could have died. She at least was not in a good state, like yeah. you said. And then where the film leaves you, I didn't know how to feel about it because in a way it's very touching. It's a very warm scene even. Like it's kind of a warm, mm-hmm. like even just the the way it's shot it's like it's the much brighter and, like right and it's a it's a warm family scene and what i was kind of thinking is okay you know is ang lee basically saying they've learned from their mistakes and you know yeah. that's good for them and that's and so and it's kind of like well all those other storylines and all the other people involved like it just kind of leaves them yeah. where they're at yeah they have to suffer through the consequences of the actions they made that kind of pain, the pain that comes with the loss of a child, that doesn't go away, you yeah, know? Right. Um, but the more I thought about it, again, this is just something that hit me like a few days later as I was thinking about it. I was kind of like, well, you know, both the parents and the kids are kind of in this state of adolescence. Mm-hmm. And in, a lot, in adolescence, you make a lot of dumb mistakes. You just do. Yeah. It's, everybody does. I've got things I did when I was a teenager that I, I really regret doing. They I, were mean. Just I was not a good human being a lot right. of times when I was a teenager. I work in a high school. Yeah. I, I, they, are, they, they, they don't think a lot. Yeah. And so in a way, I feel like that movie is very true to life. Like I can't go back. Yeah, I, I don't even think it'd be possible to see what the repercussions of what yeah. I did had or the effect of what I did had on the mm-hmm. people I did those things to. Yeah. Um, but that's just how life works. And what happens is, and I think this is where the movie kind of just channeled in on that family. You do get a sense at the end of the movie that they, I don't know if they learned anything, but they were regretful. There yeah. was a there was a feeling of regret in that mm-hmm. entire vehicle when they're yeah. all saying every single character, maybe not Paul. I don't know what. he's kind of a enigma to me yeah but every other character you could tell that they certainly felt impacted finally by what had happened and what yeah and that that's true to life that's Mm -hmm. what happens is you hope that that's how you grow that being a grown-up is not being like the perfect family yeah or being a grown-up or growing into things isn't sort of falling in line to this this sort of idea of what society has being a grown-up is making those dumb mistakes yeah and then genuinely feeling regretful about them and hopefully you just move on from them and who knows what that looks like and that's kind of why I like that the movie just left it there yeah. it's like you don't know what that looks like you know you don't know if that family's even going to really change right. afterwards but you'd like to think that they will yeah and it looks like there was well, something the that happened on a true, emotional level yeah that's the yeah. first true emotional reaction from anybody really yeah um and again I've <laughs> this makes me think of magnolia again when uh, jason robards has that speech he says like you know people tell you not to regret anything he said you regret what you want and you learn from that yeah um that's uh, that's interesting cuz i i kind of after the movie ended i turned to my wife and i was like so what do you think she was like well that was sad <laughs> like yeah that was sad and i was in at a bit the of a time, funk that was for, all i could yeah. think about was and so when you mentioned earlier that um, something about when people say, why would you want to watch something so sad when there's so many sad things in the world? That, yeah. you know, um, this was one of the first movies, one of the few movies where I kind of felt that too. I was like, well, why did I watch that? Like, hmm. I'm a husband living in a 
sub- suburb that has key parties. Like, <laughs> I did not need to see this movie to confront the awkwardness of being around that. Yeah. I've never been near one. Like, obviously, I didn't even know they were happening. And I think I think it gets at what you were just talking about, that what got to me was, well, I'm a husband who makes, like, dumb choices, like, yeah. selfish choices. Not I'm not having an affair or anything, but, like, just stupid, dumb things. Not doing some of the housework when I would rather be doing something else. Or, like, whatever. Just, like, I'm like, I don't... I don't necessarily need to see someone making worse choices um, and not feeling any catharsis through it. Like mm-hmm. it was because, because of the way Ang Lee does it, it's so realistic. Nobody makes a speech. Nobody no. has some revelation. Any, the, the few times people try to make speeches, they are condescending and stuttered and weird. Like, and, and, and stock, you know, like, yeah. you, like this, are you talking about like, like when the Sigourney Weaver character is trying to lecture right. the Wendy character, there's that one, <laughs> the and scene that then, we played at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Right. But also, um, I actually wrote down, is this the weirdest sex talk scene when oh, he's yeah. trying to talk to Paul in the car? You know, Paul, I was thinking this may be as good a time as any to have a little talk about, um, well, about, uh, well, whole gamut, uh, facts of life. Uh, as I tell you, there's things happening that uh, you're probably old enough to digest. Things. Well, things that happen between a, well, um, on the self-abuse front. And this is important. Uh, I don't think it's advisable to do it in the shower. It wastes water and electricity and because we all expect you to be doing it there in any case. That was not all, the only time that I wrote down is this the weirdest such and such. Yeah. Because possibly the weirdest thing the movie does is the um, the teenagers, like the 14, 13 or 14 year old kids fumbling around trying to have sex and she's wearing a Richard Nixon mask. Yes. Yes. And that, it's that's just bizarre. Like, oh, ah, oh, it's weird. But I think that that's important. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, well, I, that's the, it, that, that gets it, to the point that I was making about being in that, like the parents making mistakes and yelling at the kids for making the same mistakes, the government, because that's the scene where he comes down and catches them and lectures them while he was in the house to have an affair. Who right. is he to yell at this person? And then he's yelling at Richard Nixon, and why is Richard Nixon? It but I feels also a lot think less that there's heavy-handed. But I also feel like even beyond that, there was kind of a purpose to that sex scene, not just being awkward mm. because they were young, but it it in a in almost like a, a a subtext way, it's another way to just show that these kids are out of their element. Well, you know, it, there it's that, or it could be making the parallel to the key party. Like you've got this idea that like it's not an affair. The affair is when he chose Sigourney Weaver. Right. But it's not an affair when, oh, grab the keys out of the thing. When everyone's not, in on it. Right. Yeah. It's not me fooling around when I'm wearing this mask. Like, she could become a different person. I'm reading and teaching Lord of the Flies right now, so the idea of masks and using that to yes. like, get away with doing whatever you want <laughs> is very prevalent in my head, so that might be why I'm thinking about it, and it has no, nothing to do with the movie. But I don't think it's I think it does, though. That, like, why? fumbling with yeah. your identity and, like, oh, I can cover my face and be somebody else. Mm-hmm even if it's Richard Nixon or whatever. And that character, that Wendy character, is all about asserting power mm-hmm. through sexuality. Yeah. You know, um, it, sexuality is a power game to her. Yeah. 
she knows she has the power to kind of make these boys do whatever she wants them to do because she can use her body for that, and right. she's going to make it awkward for them. Well, like she's she not going to make it she easy for them. Quite understand it? I don't no, think. I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very rich movie, and that's what I think. In in hindsight, makes this movie so much different than anything that would be like. I don't even know if this is a a term but like despair porn just like something that's just like <laughs> everything we, we just coined it i, I think. hope so <laughs> trademarked um but you know what i'm saying just mm-hmm. like oh everything's awful and these people are terrible and then just worse stuff happens to them it's that, like why are we watching that i don't i don't think that's what's happening in this movie i think like we've said there's there's so much more going on and so much more to be learned just from seeing them I like this movie more after talking about it, though. <laughs> yeah. You. I don't know. That's another quality of these dark sort of contemporary... Well, it's not contemporary. It's 70s. But mm. I feel like the the these kind of movies do lend themselves to discussion, but the, a lot of times they're discussions we don't want to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, well, uh, or a discussion you didn't know... Well, no, yeah, you're right. The, a discussion that you didn't even know would apply to you because... Um, it's easy to watch a movie like this, or honestly, I just gave a speech to my students, read a book like Lord of the Flies and say like, oh, I'm never going to be like them. Isn't right. that great? I'm never going to make that big of a mistake. I'm never going to do that. But then you can see in a movie like this and a book like Lord of the Flies that where that started wasn't a crazy, disparate place. Like it's, It started where we all are right now. Going back to like, why do I put myself through a movie like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like this is the most agonizing movie I've ever seen. That I, I no, wouldn't say that. It's, it's just not, yeah, it's hard to watch in a strange way. Yeah, but I tend to watch those movies, and even though I do understand, like, okay, I'm not doing what they're doing on the screen in my life. Yeah, I I get the idea that like these people are enough like me uh-huh. that I need to reflect. Yeah. And think about ways in which I probably do the exact same thing, maybe not at the same level, not the exact same choices, maybe even worse in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? And I think it's exactly because they stick with you for so long, because you think about them for days, you know, mm-hmm. after you watch them, that they do kind of, they're kind of like, in in the way that the ice storm kind of stops those characters, these types of movies tend to kind of put a stop mm-hmm. on my life and and cause me to take inventory on a few things yeah you know no i agree um and so that's why i really do see value in them and i and i there is a place in me that loves just the escapism of the movies and yeah the, well to, that's an a discussion in of itself is escaping from it by watching a movie is that more irresponsible <laughs> right. than watching more of it where you're kind of learning a lesson in processing sure yeah because it reminds me of mikey talking about the smell of things that when you're smelling something you're actually eating the molecules mm, yeah. that have come off of it so when you walk into the bathroom and it smells like poop you got your eat you are <laughs> yeah. eating somebody's poop molecule like you can't help but ingest right. and be affected by what's going on and around mikey you. also talks about when he says why he wants to go look at the ice storm is he talks about how the molecules are just stopping yeah you know yeah yeah he wants to go out in that because he can finally breathe clean air yeah huh yeah so there's you know i think there's just an endless number of things that we could talk about with this movie. And I'm, yeah. I'm as far as watching a movie that we hadn't seen yet and trying to fill those gaps in, I'm really glad that we mm-hmm. chose this movie. Um, I really liked it. Sounds like 
we at least both appreciated it and by talking through it have actually oh, yeah. gained all sorts of mm-hmm. new things to even think about. Yeah, so. I'm really glad we watched something that we that has been staring at us from our various yes. lists and cues. I, f- and I felt I'm going to get to go now and, and check off that thing on my watch mm-hmm. list on Letterboxd. Um, yeah. you know, by the way, if you're if you are um if you are on letterbox.com, which is a site where you can rate movies and things, we are on there. Um, yep. but this is one that's been sitting in my watch list forever and I get to finally rate it and uh it's going to feel good. <laughs> It'll feel good. <laughs> but we would love to hear what what you guys have to th- say about the ice storm or what your thoughts are on it. Um if you watched it beforehand, if you thought anything we said was 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 crazy or, you know, if you liked it, whatever. We just would like to hear it uh, from you. So, as always, please uh, you know, shoot us an email, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Um, you know, you can always leave us a a, a voicemail um mm-hmm. and and share your thoughts with your vocal cords. You know, and then yeah. we've also got the the regular social media outlets that everyone has, Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So, and we actually got a couple voicemails uh, about the Avengers. The last episode, to the last yeah. episode. We'll we'll tag we'll those play on. A couple of those at the end. But one of the more important things that happened in one of those phone calls is that our listener Ben, um, he suggested a movie which was actually. I think a year ago we already had this movie picked. We did. It was in so the can. Yeah. Ben, ben is, uh, he's, he's got a, uh, an eye inside our minds, apparently. Um, like Sauron? Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to offend. Ben, let us know. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's going to be the Can We Still Be Friends Holiday Spectacular. Yes. Uh, live Merry Christmas edition. Live Happy from holidays. Uh, Radio City Music Hall, which is what we call Nate's uh, office <laughs> in his house. Um, but we are going to be doing, and this is one of the earliest disagreements we had, and, and oh, it's yes. going to split opinion. And I'm sure a lot of you are going to hate me even more after this one, but we are going to be doing... You might... The whole idea of this podcast is that you might come around to it. You have to open That's yourself true. up to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact remains that Pretty much every movie I've disliked is movies that people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, so what's the movie? What are we going to discuss? We are going to be watching the holiday classic that I cannot stand to watch. Um, but you're going to. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, we're going to be watching A Christmas Story. We just dropped a bombshell there, folks. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like watching that movie. I love... A Christmas now, story. Here's the thing. There's a reason I keep saying I do not like watching this movie because the the movie is painful for me to watch. You watched it 24 hours. Yep. When they show it on the 24 hour marathon. Yeah. And I'm you just little, thought that's I'm, a little too much. I'm OCD like that. Well, no, we don't want to get too much that's into not it. True, but yeah, we don't have to <laughs> talk about it. That but is going to be the next episode. It, it, it could get ugly. Who knows? Maybe I'll love it. A smirk on your face when you said that. Anyways, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank, uh, welcome mm-hmm. to any new listeners, and I uh, hope you enjoyed our discussion of the ice storm. And we will catch you next time uh, when we discuss Christmas story. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it's Ben uh, Krogh calling from Portland, Oregon, and I just had to say. Um, whatever you do, continue to choose movies that you don't agree on because it is freaking entertaining to listen to, and I, I kind of love it. 
when you guys, when one of you guys says something that completely takes the other off guard because the reactions are pretty priceless. Um, as far as a listener suggestion, I, I've been thinking of one as we're unbelievably sneaking up already on um, the holidays and something that I, a movie that I watched a lot as a kid and I still have tons of, tons of like baggage on is, is uh, The Christmas Story, um, A Christmas Story, um, which is I think a great film to revisit um, if you guys are thinking about doing a Christmas episode. Just a thought, but um, love the podcast and uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. All right, later. Hello, wonderful hosts of Can We Still Be Friends? It's Andrew. Uh, Nate, I have to admit, you were cranky. Uh, in, in the Avengers podcast, I think Ryan has got some fair points in regards to the Marvel Universe, uh, where it seems that Avengers could do no right. It was doomed uh, before it started, just because of your uh, tiredness of the industry. Um, there's so much that has been done right in the Nolan films, and then there has been so much that's just been done uh, in regards to many of the Marvel films. Marvel has done some amazing things on film and has done some really awful ones. And I really feel Ryan's point uh, was well made. And there is an inability for those of us who have been following this comic universe to come into these films and say, just how is the film? Because we cannot look through a, a brand new lens unknowing these characters. And you go and you watch the film on it, you're going to have the opinion, is it a good movie? Well, yeah, but for all of these things, Ryan and I and others who are nerds, there's an aspect of where we're going to stand and we're going to evaluate a film. And we have to evaluate it, is it a good movie? Uh, we'll kind of always say yes, kind of. Um, that entertainment factor and is it true to form is always there. We can't take it away. And so for Avengers, for all of us uh, Marvel fanboys, aside from the Whedon fanboys, um, I mean, we come to that and we're saying, is this true to character? Is this con continuing the serial uh, that we have been following? And if it is, then we're excited. It may not be the best movie we've ever seen, it may not stand up to the same level of satisfaction as maybe an individual Batman movie. But my goodness, the age of Ultron, that trailer, Nate, I'm so sorry to hear you say that, that did nothing for you because the level of excitement for me as I was watching it, I'm just so excited to see the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver uh, be developed in this next movie where you, Nate, cringed at them saying we're going to do these movies through 2019. Uh, I was thrilled. So I, there's too much and too many thoughts. Thank you guys so much for at least thinking those things through out loud. Thank you for disagreeing so much to bring some life to that discussion. Uh, as always, continue to look forward to the next ones. Peace, fellas.